0: Concerts, sporting events, conferences, people are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. Ooh, just let the gravity of silence sink in.
1: This is not Simon and Garfunkel with the sound of silence.
0: Thud, silence. All right, so podcasts this week for each have included Jamie Bazo, who was outstanding, Adam Oates in his attempted takedown of Instagram hockey trainers, (laughs) and now today, Chicago Blackhawks general manager, Stan Bowman. This is all while we're on vacation. And by the way, folks, we are taking a break. I know we said this last week. We lied. Today, we're telling you the truth. I promise. I think. Anyway, Stan Bowman. Elliot, he's everywhere, he's everywhere. We've seen the Rangers do this, sending their letter to their uh, to their fans saying we're commencing the rebuild and now Chicago is for lack of a better term perhaps coming clean and publicly saying we're rebuilding this thing. Stan Bowman, Elliot.
1: The biggest challenge I thought for us in this one is Stan Bowman and uh, the Blackhawks felt it was important for him to go out and get his message out there. And I would bet it had a lot to do with Jonathan Taves coming out publicly to The Athletic and saying, I don't understand what's going on here. Mm -hmm. That they felt not only did they have to speak to their franchise cornerstones and future Hall of Famers, but they also had to speak to their fan base. Because if Jonathan Taves is saying that, then clearly their fans will say that. So we taped this on Wednesday. On Tuesday, he did a whole bunch of interviews. He spoke to Emily Kaplan from ESPN. I saw he also did some uh, two hour long podcasts, one with uh, The Athletic and one with NBC, the local rights holder. And I read Emily's article. I listened to both those podcasts, the one with Charlie and Pat and the one with Mark and Scott. And I just said, we have to try to come up with some different stuff. We can't just do the same hour-long thing so uh, when you listen to this all of you out there you'll tell us if we were successful or not some of the answers are things you're going to have heard before some of them are going to be different but i really thought jeff that was our challenge was how can we not make it the same as the other things that he did and one thing i do respect is the blackhawks went local first I i think that's important you have to do that first
0: and to your previous point, I think that's why I went back to 1967 oh for my one God. of my questions. Even Bowman was <laughs> groaning on that one. He lo- I'm sure he's heard that story a million different times, but I had to of course. had to get there. Okay, so uh, so that was our challenge as uh, Elliot lays out and now you be the judge. Uh, did we do a good job? Stan Bowman tries to do a good job of the rebuild of the Chicago Blackhawks. Here's Hawks General Manager Stan Bowman. 31 thoughts the podcast. Stan Bowman is the general manager of the Chicago Blackhawks, one of, if not the top franchise in the NHL salary cap era. Three Stanley Cups, uh, individual and team awards, stars bound for the Hall of Fame, packed houses at the United Center, numerous appearances at the Winter Classic. This is a national brand, but uh, with the recent letter to the fan base, the Blackhawks are now in the green banana business and the R word has appeared rebuild Stan Bowman joins us now Stan thanks so much for joining us Um, first question why the letter why did you feel that was important
2: well the first thing we wanted to do is have better communication with our fans about the direction that we're heading and I think that's something that we need to improve upon looking back in time. I think we're trying to look forward, but I think in order to be successful moving forward, you have to look back and see things that you can do better. And I think the biggest thing that we're trying to do is communicate better with the direction that we're heading. And in a lot of ways, we're continuing on a path that we have been on for the past year to year and a half. So it's not a complete sea change for our organization. I think that the change comes with Uh, being more transparent about it. And I think it's time to do that. I think where we're at today in the world, I think that's something that's probably appreciated more, maybe, or necessary more than it was in the past. And we recognize that. And that's the main reason for the letter is to open up the communication channels better and talk with our fans.
1: Was there some information or feedback you got or some I don't know, consulting you guys did that said to you, you aren't transparent enough with your fans? Uh,
2: Nothing I did in particular. I think it's more of a gut feel that I had. I mean, I've I've obviously been in this market for a while. And I think, you know, with Danny Wirtz coming on board, uh, he has some new ideas. And I think he he wants to, I guess you could call it, be more progressive with some of the projects we've undertaken since Danny's come on board here. We've done this whole separate project on the, the business side, and I think this kind of goes hand in hand with that. So in my discussions with Danny uh, over the past couple months, we, we had the opportunity to spend a lot of time together. He came with our team into the bubble in Edmonton. So Danny Wirtz, I've known for a while. Obviously, he's been around the team, but he didn't play a big role with the Blackhawks until recently. So I got a chance to spend more time with him. And while we were in uh, the bubble in Edmonton, obviously we had a lot of downtime and uh, we spent every day together and multiple hours per day. We would eat you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner together. And in those conversations, he would ask a lot of questions, try to understand our thought process, understand you know where we're at, what we're doing, why we're doing it. And In those conversations, which took place over several hours, his takeaway was: "This is great information. Like, I totally get it." He's like, "Why don't we tell this more? Like, why don't we why don't we speak to this more? Because I think people would appreciate and understand this. Like, this all does make sense, but I don't know if we've done a good enough job communicating it." And I, I, I agreed with him. So I guess. You could say that in those conversations, while we were in the playoffs in Edmonton, that that got us thinking, and then we returned to Chicago and we had discussions with our full group, and uh, I think we all decided this was a better approach.
0: So, as my way then to Elliot's point of trying to differentiate this interview with you Stan from the other podcasts Uh, and you have to excuse because I'm sure you've heard this story a million times from your dad but our listeners uh, may not have as a way to differentiate I'm going to have a really hockey geek set up to this question and I assure you Stan no matter how far down this weird road I go uh, (laughs) it is relevant to your situation so I'll preface it that way okay so Stan we're gonna go back tonight. oh boy we're hang on Elliot sit down that's right put your feet up this may take a while loosen your collar uh, we're gonna go back to 1967. It's the expansion St. Louis Blues. I want to see it's game 15 or 16 in the season. And St. Louis is doing all right, and they're beating Philadelphia two to one. Uh, Lynn Patrick is the head coach, he's handling the forwards. Scotty, your father, is handling the D. And it's apparent that you know, somewhere down the road, Scotty's gonna be the head coach of the St. Louis Blues. And there's a moment in the game where your dad goes to Lynn and says, I think we should take Norm Baudin out. He's weak defensively, and it's going to hurt us in this game. And Lynn Patrick does, but he puts in a guy the name of Roger Picard, who only ended up playing like 15 games with the Blues, Noel Picard's brother. And it was the wrong move. He's on the ice when the Flyers tie it up. He's on the ice when, you know, the Flyers scored the game-winning goal. And afterwards at like two o'clock in the morning, Lynn Patrick calls your father up and says, I'm relinquishing the head coaching job. It's yours. I'm not the right person for this. And I remember talking to your dad years and years ago about that moment. And he said, the mistake was mine. What I should have said is not take Norm out, but I should have said, I think we should put Jerry Melnick in. And that was on me and I feel bad because of it. Was there one moment whether it goes back to that Nashville sweep in 2017. And I remember how angry you were like, that was angry Stan Bowman. And we all understood like that's an eight beating a one. And you talked about changes, but there were Chicago still very much in the hunt, like somewhere along the way, was there one moment where you said, okay, this isn't working anymore. We need a new direction. Was there one thing that everything sort of hinged on?
2: No, I, I don't. I mean, I guess it would line up better for this story if there was one, uh, but unfortunately, no, <laughs> I don't think uh, there was like one moment in time like that. I think it's a, and, that, and that's why as you're experiencing it and you're living it, it doesn't always turn on a dime like the story you just mentioned. Uh, I think it it's more of a gradual thing. And when you you know yeah, we was a disappointing end to that season. We had a great season and we played Nashville and we didn't win a game, uh, barely scored any goals in the series. So, but I think you're still looking at it in those times like well this was an anomaly this was a fluke we had a bad week after a great season and that could have been the case i guess so you could argue well it wasn't just a bad week it was the start of something else because that's we never really got back up to that point from that point on so but i don't know if that nashville series in particular was that of a change of course i think you're always trying to extend your period when you've been a team that's had success. And I think you just gotta look at the teams recently who have success, they're they're making moves to try to extend things as much as they can. There's gonna be a point when they look back in time and realize, well, that probably wasn't smart. We should have just changed. But that's so hard to do in the moment because there is so much call it parity, competitive balance, whatever word you want to use, that you're you're never that far from being good, especially when you're a team that's near the top. Or if you've won, you figure, if you won two years ago, you figure, well, we're we're not that far from being that team. We look back at that team, we look at our team now, and you can explain to yourself how you may even be better than that team that won. So you just got to stick with it but things are changing around you all the time and it's hard to uh, hang on to something that was. And I think we, we what we've tried to do in the last year to year and a half is start to incorporate more young players and look less and less on the quick fix uh, veteran player that can come in and uh, make an impact on a short-term basis, we're trying to change it. We're not, so not a wholesale change. I think that's why uh, it's confusing for some people because they, they think the word rebuild means you just take every piece, you get rid of it, you strip it to nothing, and then you start over. And of course that's, that's possible to do that. I'm not sure there's been a lot of those things that have happened. If, If you look back at the way our sport, it doesn't necessarily lend itself to that. Uh, I think you have to have a combination of that, where you know you still need a, a base of some players to surround, you know, with and grow with. And it's hard to just have a a full team of young players, mm-hmm. you know. So we're we're trying to do both, which is a challenge. But our commitment is to build this back up by investing in our young players and understanding that there's going to be some growing pains along the way and you know, like Kirby doc had a a pretty impressive progression last year from a guy who started in October, November, playing eight to 10 minutes. to by the time we get to March, he's up in the mid teens and then we reconvene in the summertime and he's playing 19, 20 minutes a game and he's used in every situation. So the investment in Kirby paid off pretty quickly. I don't anticipate that to be the, the path for all of our young players. I think some of them are going to need, uh, they're going to take a little different path, maybe a longer path to prominent roles, but we do want to invest in those players.
1: I wanted to ask you, Stan, you talked yesterday about how you had a Zoom call or Zoom conference with Kane, Taves, Seabrook, and Keith, just to make sure that they were filled in with everything. Do you have any concern that any of these four either as a group or individually will say, you know what, this isn't the path for me.
2: Well, Elliot, I don't have the feeling for my conversation with them that that's how it's going to go. And okay. so I think I'm not expecting that. I've also learned in life that you, you don't know what's going to happen down the road. Mm-hmm. And if something changes, then we'll deal with it head on at that point. But for where we're at today, I just tried to explain to them that the biggest difference right now is we're being more open and transparent as opposed to a totally new direction. Like we've been doing this and I pointed that out to them. You know, I think when you explain it, they realize that's true. We have actually given young players a lot of opportunity the last year, to year and a half. So it's not like we we had, we're a veteran laden group the last two years and now we've, Change and brought in just all young players. We've been skewing younger for the last year and a half to two years, and even Alex Tabrickett—he's twenty-one years old. I mean, mm-hmm. he's been in our team for three years, but he, I mean, there is a lot of guys his age that haven't even played their first game. Like prominent prospects who are highly rated that are about to enter the league next year, and Alex has already got one hundred goals under his belt. So, you know, he's a young player. Uh, he's not really viewed as young even though he's 21 years old. But, you know, so we have a lot of young players. We don't have all young players. And I don't anticipate we're ever going to just have a team top to bottom of 22-year-old guys. I think we need those players. And if anything, we need to surround the veterans that have been here with more depth. And I think that's what we were lacking. You know, we, we had a good series against Edmonton, and then we came up against Vegas. We, we played them pretty close. I mean, I know the series was four to one, but if you watch the series, each game, it was, I would say for about 45 to 50 minutes, we were either tied or we even had control of the play, but there was a 10 to 12 minute stretch in each game, not not necessarily 10 consecutive minutes, but you know three minutes to end the first period and the first five minutes of the second where they just ran us over and they scored a few goals. So we, we don't have enough depth to compete with those teams right now. And, and we saw Vegas had a good run. They, they're a strong team. They have a lot of depth top to bottom. We need to have that, and we need to build it up, as opposed to just go you know, pick it up off the free agent market or bring in you know, more veteran players. That's one approach to doing it, but we've chosen not to go down that road because we think the payoff is better if you invest and you develop that growth and that support from within.
1: Stan, I wanted to follow it up a bit, just in the sense that it's becoming more of a player's league than ever. It always used to be, hey, the bosses are in charge. This is the way it goes. And if you don't like it, too bad. But it's not only the Blackhawks. I think it's everywhere around the league where the players are realizing, no, 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 Like, we've got power. And so I just wanted to ask you about, the dynamic you've got four guys there three of them are going to the hall of fame all of them are cornerstones in blackhawks history all of them are probably getting their numbers retired they're huge parts of your three stanley cups in the last decade how has the dynamic changed in the last 15 to 20 years to now in terms of how teams have to involve players and how players wield their powers in time like times like this
2: a good question, Elliot. I guess, you know some things have changed over the last five to six years. I think you know, the cap's been around for a long time now, but I think as we've seen it play out, we've seen some changes to what's happened. So if you go back to our first Cup in two thousand ten, you know those guys were all on their entry level contracts. So you know you had some of your top players were on their entry-level contracts. And we had such a deep team with Hosa and Sharp and Buffland and Ladd and up and down the lineup. So we had had so much depth, and I think that's what really pushed us forward. Then things changed because those players got uh, rewarded. They got new contracts. But their new contracts were – they made like $6 million, Taves and Kane. So it, it was a good jump. But it wasn't like the their second contract was not the contract which set them up for the rest of time. Mm-hmm. So what's changed though is in the last probably four to five years, that dynamic has shifted. And now those players that are high-end players coming out of their entry level, they're getting big, big changes. So I think we've seen the the pay distribution exacerbate over time here. So we have you have a lot of players, well, you have a small number of players making a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So then it put more and more stress on the rest of your team. But those teams we had from 2011 to 2015, we had still a powerhouse lineup up and down the, the roster. So now I think that's harder and harder to do that. So you need to have more depth. I think you need now more and more young players because the young players they don't earn a lot of money. Mm -hmm. That's the way our system works. So top players are still getting rewarded and rightfully so. Like they, they make such an impact. So I don't even have an issue with the way the system works. But I think we also have to realize what it does to your team dynamic. So it just stresses more the importance of having a lot of uh, lower priced players. And you can achieve that two ways. You can have low priced veterans that are not able to get the contracts they want they're kind of on the down swing of their career like there's some of them available today who haven't gotten signed yet you can sign them for probably the same amount you can sign a young player for and they may be as good or better in the short term for your team but it it's not a long-term success Uh, like i think that's why we've stopped trying to support our team with those players and we're looking at trying to invest in as many young players as possible to surround our veterans. So back to your original question, the the league, I think, has changed. And the way that the money is allocated is different now than it was in 2011 or 12. And I think it's changed how you build your team. So, you know, these players are in the midst of that change. And they are very unusual in the sense that they are four guys that have been together, with one team their whole career i'm not sure there's four other guys in the entire league that can say that and i don't know that we'll see that going forward it's pretty unusual and as a result it's something i guess it doesn't get talked about as much because it doesn't happen around the league i mean maybe you guys can think of four guys i can't i was trying just yesterday someone asked me that and i'm not sure there's an equivalent circumstance around the league
1: the only one I can think of off the top of my head, Stan, is three. Actually, now if you include the goalie, four in LA: Kopitar, Doughty, Dustin Brown, and Quick. But Keith is thirty-six, and Seabrook is thirty-four. Your guys are a little bit older; like they've got a bit more term to them mm-hmm. than the than the LA guys do. But that's the only one I can think of off the top of my head.
2: Yeah, that's a good parallel, and I think LA and Chicago, I've kind of had a similar trajectory, you know, and I think that, I don't think that's really a shock if you kind of break it down, that we're unique relative to these other teams. Now, these other teams that are on the top now, they're going to face their own challenges in the coming years. And I don't know if there's one way to handle it. Uh, I guess guess we'll see how that plays out.
0: Uh, I think anyone listening to this right now, Stan, can understand what you're saying about getting deeper, getting younger hockey players, more experienced, regenerate uh, this team. Let me give you a hypothetical here. So I'm putting myself in Jeremy Culleton's position here and thinking, okay, here's what the organization wants versus what I'm paid to deliver, which is wins. It's late in a hockey game. Chicago is protecting a one-goal lead. If I'm Jeremy Culleton, is it more important for me sitting on a lead late in the third period to have Taves and Kane and Keith out there, or... Is that a moment where you say, for the good of the future of this organization, you know, we need Nylander out there. We need Boquist on the ice. That's the next wave of Blackhawk. We know what we already have in these other guys, and they could help us nurse this lead, but we need to have younger players in uncomfortable positions. What does the GM want in that scenario?
2: It's not always a, it's a good question, but in a sense, it's I don't know if it's a binary option where – some situations will require, you have to at some point give younger players an opportunity. You don't have to do it every single game. But likewise, the veterans, they're not perfect either. They may give you a better chance over, uh, over the, a given time, but like everybody makes mistakes in, in time. And I think if it was a guaranteed outcome that you could win this game if you just went with these three players and they were, they were never going to fail you, Uh, That's one situation. I don't know if that's the way that it works in reality. So I think what we're looking for is you have to give these players opportunities to grow and succeed and fail, Uh, and there will be some failure. Uh, But there's also some failure from everybody. So I think it's really the blending of the two together, which is it's probably more of an art than a science. I don't know if you can necessarily pull out a sheet and say okay in this game these are the three guys we're going to use and then the next two games that means these other guys get it's more of a an art to it and I think that's something that you know we've started this already I think Jeremy's embraced this and I think he enjoys working with young players and I think that's a strength of his is the reason we brought him over from when he was coaching in Sweden was you know I saw what he did with you know a team he was in the the al League, and his team got promoted to the SHL by winning the relegation round. And they were overmatched talent-wise, but he was able to take this group and have them overachieve. And then he came over to North America. He was in our American League team for a year, sort of did the same thing there. We had a moderately talented team, uh, not really many NHL prospects on that group. And he took them to the Uh, the semifinal of the, of the AHL. Uh, And then the next year in the middle of the year is when he came and joined Chicago. Uh, So I think that's something that Jeremy, he embraces that. He embraces the challenge of mixing in young players with veterans. And, you know, I think it doesn't have to be one or the other. It can be a common, it could be, you know, Taves out there late with Keith, but with a young guy. And then the next game, it can be Boquist out there rather than Keith but Taves is still there so I think it's you know it's not like we've got seven guys who he has to use in certain situations I think there's value in that those veterans bring they've won it they've won it multiple times over we should lean on them but we should also try to incorporate other players as we're moving forward
1: You said to uh, Emily Kaplan of ESPN that Culleton is likely getting extended. He's got one year left in his deal. I I understand, you know, Culleton's 35. Keith is older than him. Seabrook's within four months. Has that been difficult to navigate for all of those guys at all? Just the fact that your coach is in the same age as, you know, two of your most important and veteran players.
2: Yeah, I don't know if that is really an obstacle. I haven't sensed that, even in my conversations with them. I guess they could speak to it better than me. That, that's not my sense, that Jeremy's age is a challenge. I think the, the biggest change was that, like I mentioned a few moments ago, we have this unusual circumstance of these four veteran players that have been with Chicago. Not only were they with Chicago their whole career and played together, they played for one coach their whole career which is real. Well, I guess they, they played for Dennis DeVard for a couple of weeks, but right. you know for, for one season, but for the most part, after Joel took over, they had this unprecedented run of the same coach for the same number of years. So you get accustomed to that coach, not only how he coaches, but his practices, his routines, everything. And I think uh, that was something that, we thought about, but we kind of underestimated how hard it is to form new habits. And I don't know that there's anyone, in even LA we talk about, they've had multiple coaches come through there in their their run over the last 10 years. It's not like they had one coach. So I think the players have had to adapt, but our players haven't had to do that until just a year and a half ago. So I think that was an adjustment for them. Uh, I don't know if his age really was the issue though. I think it was just more anyone different. We did things differently and it takes time to form new habits. And it's not that they weren't willing to learn new things or try new things. I think it's just not as automatic Mm -hmm. when you're trying to learn or do something, play a different way, or you have different habits that the coach stresses. Uh, It just takes time. Whereas new players or young players, they come to the Blackhawks, They've played for three coaches in the last five years, whether it was a junior, college, American League, NHL coach got changed. So they've done a lot of changing. So for them, it's not really a big deal to morph into a different system. But I think for those guys, it was more challenging than any of us thought.
1: Also for yourself, um, for the first time, I think since you've been the GM, there was a change above you. And, you know, as you mentioned, Danny Wirtz is, is the guy now, and he was with you in the bubble. Two questions. Number one, are you expecting further changes above you? Do you think that there could be, you know, he has hinted that he's not there long term. And the second question I just wanted to ask you, Stan, was there any moment during all this where you were worried that someone was going to knock on your door and say, it's time, we're going to go in another direction?
2: Uh, first question. I don't really have a feel for that as far as if there's going to be additional changes or whatnot. I mean, I would just be speculating on that. So I can't give much context there. Uh, As far as my, I I learned from my dad a long time ago, remember when I was younger and his point was, you keep doing your job uh, and you do the best you can until they tell you they don't want you anymore. And it doesn't serve any purpose to Put a lot of energy into thinking. Well, how long am I going to be here? You put your head down. You work hard. You do the best job you can, and you got to have confidence that people believe in you. And until they tell you they they don't believe in you, just keep working. So, you know, I learned that from him years ago when I was probably a teenager. And you know, as a coach, you know, my dad's been multiple places and. I think when you start worrying about yourself, that's when you can get off track. Your job is to keep working until they tell you uh, they don't want you any longer. So I've taken that same approach here. It's
1: probably a smart approach.
2: Uh,
0: yeah. Uh, I'll say, let me, um, the Jonathan Taves uh, comments. Sam Pollock used to say, I'll take aggravation. He also used this great baseball analogy. He used to say, uh, I'll take aggravation from a 300 hitter. Uh, but I won't take aggravation from a 200 hitter. Give us a sense, Stan, uh, within the organization. And one of the themes on this podcast is how does this work? What happens in the Blackhawks organization when Jonathan Taves makes the comments that he made a couple of weeks ago? What happens?
2: Nothing in particular happened. We talked about it. I think the the thing that we we then, I followed up with a conversation with him to clarify some things so that, he didn't misunderstand what we were doing with the the moves that we were making and the direction we were heading. So communication is is really, I guess, what we did was try to explain, like, listen, we're continuing down this path that we've been clear with you on in the past, and we haven't done a great job of communicating with our fans, which was on us. In, In hindsight, we can do a better job of communicating it more clearly with our players. But, you know, as recently as in the bubble and afterwards we have our exit meetings that we talked about how our team's going to look next year and how the message was, it's going to look very similar. We we need more players to take a step forward and we're going to give those guys a chance. Like, so the, the question that was posed to Jonathan, I think was assuming maybe that there was a, a change in direction which I assured him there was not a change in direction. There's a change in approach on how we're going to be more open with everybody about what we're doing. But we're continuing on things that we had been doing even last season and the season before. So I think if anything, the discussion we had internally, and then when I had my conversation with the veterans, it was to try to give them the perspective and make sure that they knew from me what we were doing. And they weren't uh, listening or guessing based on what they had read or what the person posing the question had led them to believe.
1: The sod trade Zadorov extension coming for him?
2: Well, he signed his qualifying offer. Yes. I think what we'll probably look to do is uh, work on that. I mean, he's still a restricted free agent at the end of this year. So mm-hmm. his status, I think, isn't really a big concern for us. Yeah. You know, that trade, I think, It was an important part, I think, in not only the the here and now with making our team a better team and making our team difficult to play against. He's a unique player in the league. There's not too many guys who have that combination of size, physicality, and also no fear. So, you know, I know from playing against him, he, he he never hesitated to come after Patrick Kane and. I think sometimes you have physical players that they got to be careful who they go after because they're gonna they're gonna have to deal with some people coming after them, so they may not go after the better players. But he's fearless that way, so I think he's gonna give us an element that we haven't had. But the but the biggest thing is really I think the impact that Zadorov can have on. We've got two young defensemen, Adam Boquist, who has got some NHL experience. We have another young defenseman named Ian Mitchell, who's a 21 year old defenseman out of Denver University. And I thought he was ready for the NHL a year ago, but he wanted to go back as the captain for his junior year at Denver. So now he's turning pro, and we expect him to be a big part of where we're going. But he's similar style to Boquist. They're smaller, right handed, skilled offensive defensemen. uh, And I think. Zodorov could be a great partner for either of those two for many years to come. And I think it's going to help accelerate their progression and development. So it was a very important step for us to take, not only to help our team, and Nikita brings a lot to the table with his own skill set, but I think it's going to help accelerate their progress. So that was an important part of that trade. And that was why we think he could really make a, a difference on our team in more than just one way.
1: I totally understand the, what you're thinking there. I was just wondering in the sense that when you make a trade for a player like that, you automatically assume, at least I do from the outside, that he's going to be a core player for years to come. So that's why I asked. I i, I got to think that you're eyeing Zadorov as a long-term Blackhawk.
2: Yes. I mean, that's how we hope it plays out. I mean, I certainly mm-hmm. we can't game plan everything, but our idea in acquiring Zadorov was, uh, he's gonna come. he's twenty five years old, so he's you know kind of that prime age for defenseman. Uh, he's already played three hundred plus games. so he's got a lot of experience under his belt. and uh, I think he's he's ready for you know his best years ahead of him.
1: Stan, every GM has their good moves. every GM has their ones that they regret. I'm wondering if you look at two of your moves, what's the one that you look at and say, it worked out exactly as I hoped. And is there one that you look at and you said, boy, I wish I could have that one back?
2: Oh, boy. Um, I don't know. I, I don't. I'm happy to talk about any trade in particular if you have some. I don't. I guess I don't look at them that way, Elliot, because what I try to do is in the moment. Um, you're looking at a trade for sometimes you're chasing the cup. So you're, Mm -hmm. you're doing things for the here and now. Sometimes you're looking more for the future. So the context of the deals are somewhat different, you know, because if you make a trade that leads to you winning a playoff round or a cup, then it was good in the moment. But most of those deals don't look as good later because you know, you're, you're sacrificing the future for the present but if you have right, i'll
1: give you a couple like sure. there's a couple i look at well i mean obviously hosts is signing Hosa as a free agent i mean no brainer and he's going to the hall of fame and he deserves it but one of your underrated moves i thought really worked out for you at the time when you made it i was like i can't imagine this is going to work is michael hanzus because when you traded for him he was buried in san jose and people were telling me he was done, and he played a really good role for you. So and the one I would look back at and say, with 2020 hindsight, would you have done it differently? Is Panarin. So those two moves, I guess.
2: Sure. Uh we'll start with uh the Han Zeus. He played a big role for us. He essentially became our second line center mm-hmm. in that cup run. And you're right, he was barely playing on the fourth line. I remember talking to our scouts who went and watched him and they just said like, I, I can't even give you too much of a read. Like he's not doing a lot right now, but if we look back at what he could do, and I think there was also the familiarity with Joel from his days in St. Louis. So when, you know, when a coach has confidence in a player, he doesn't necessarily have to see that that player is thriving in the moment because he certainly was not for San Jose. He was a kind of an extra piece for them. Wasn't used much. But we were looking at his role to fit in with, you know, he ended up playing a lot with Patrick Kane that year. And it really did, I think, propel our team to, uh, was one of the big reasons we were able to win the cup. So I think that was the combination of looking at a projection on how would this guy look in a different role, mixing that with your head coach. That really came together nicely for us. So the Panarin situation is one that I probably gets the most discussion and understandably and, and rightfully so. I think at the time that we made that trade, we were looking more at the contract and the reality. I mean, it played out pretty much essentially exactly how we thought, which was he was going to get nine to 10 million. He ended up getting 11 million in, in the free agent market. So we were looking at that and saying, that's going to that's going to be too difficult for us. We already have two players at 10 and a half million. So we were, we made the decision we were going to be unable to keep him. So we could have kept him in a, a year longer, but we were going to have to trade him. And at the, that point in time, we weren't looking to just get future assets. We were looking to try to get, remain competitive. So a different style player than he was. And, what, what I mean by is, he was a very offensive, he still is, gifted uh, playmaker, goal scorer. I don't know if you'd call him really a two-way player as much. I think so Saad, who we had you know, in the years leading up to that, the only reason we had to get rid of Brandon was the salary cap. And we, we did miss his game. You know, If you look at Jonathan, had a pretty good chemistry with Saad for those years when Brandon was with us originally. And then when Brandon left to Columbus, Kane and Panarin had tremendous chemistry. Uh, Jonathan really, we couldn't find a really good winger for him. So, you know, we we thought that in that deal, we were getting a goalie we were hopeful for, which was Forsberg. Mm -hmm. That didn't pan out. So I think, yeah, in hindsight, if if Forsberg ended up being the goalie of the future, then I think the deal would look much better and it would probably, it would, would have made more sense to everybody. But sometimes that happens where, you know, the player you expect to take that, you know, Anton had a really good year in the, in the American League. He was kind of on his way and, you know, it just never happened for him in the NHL, in Chicago anyway. So the the idea was not to trade Panarin for draft choices and young players. It was to try to bring in a player to help build up our forward depth. And, I mean, Brandon did that. I think what, what ended up happening is our... Our team, in general, just wasn't as strong as it as it had been and needed to be. So then the you know missing Panarin, you know, but I think at that time we were uh, such a one line team. It was Panarin and Nisamov and Kane, and they were really effective as a unit. But the rest of our team really we couldn't get going. We were we were so easy to play against because all we had to do is shut down that one line. So we were trying to spread things out more, you know, I guess in hindsight, it, it didn't work. So, I mean, it, that's the thought process, the logic on why we did that deal.
0: One, uh, and this will be the last question for me, Stan. Um, one other um, factor that every general manager is faced with is um, is luck. And most general managers, if not all, that go through a rebuild will point out a couple of moments where they feel they were lucky. Uh, as you look back on because as you mentioned, like this rebuild didn't start with the letter. This rebuild started before. What are some of the moments that, in your mind, you look at and you say, "You know what? You can't plan for that. We just got lucky."
2: Well, I mean, the two most obvious ones. Uh, well, one goes way back. We were fortunate to win the lottery to get Patrick Kane. Like people forget, we were yep. we were fifth that year. We won the lottery. There was no televised lottery. I remember I got a phone call from. Coley Campbell sitting at my desk, and he said, "Colin, to give you some good news, you guys won the lottery. You're picking first overall. <laughs> uh, so it, it's much, much different nowadays. But in the more recent times, we, you know, the year that 2018, 2019. Sorry, Kirby was the choice third overall, but we finished 12th that year, and we moved all the way up to third. A lot of good fortune there. I mean, we never would have gotten a player like Kirby uh, if we were picking where we finished. So uh, you know, Kirby's a big part of where we're headed here, and I think there's certainly good fortune in that. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't an obvious choice. I think maybe now looking back on it, but I think too certainly we we took a lot of a, a lot of people questioned why would we draft Kirby. There were other people who people were i guess calling for us to draft. But you know, as we dove into that draft, we spent so much time so much analysis when you're picking third overall, I think uh, you have to get that right. Uh, And, you know, I really had a comfort level. Like he was the guy that I wanted as well as our staff. Like we were all in on Kirby doc. And one year later now, you know, we're just excited for what's to come for him.
1: Last one for me, Stan is what's it like to be a GM of a team now? We're still not sure what, next season is going to look like we're still wondering you know what's the season going to be uh you mentioned it where's the cap going to be what are the unique challenges of being a gm during covid
2: well like everything else elliot I, just like with you guys and and with the rest of the world i think you have, you have to just be flexible and not let it get to you. I mean, we all want to plan. I think you know, lack of information can be frustrating or challenging for us, but I think you have to just roll with it. And as we're sitting here today, we don't know when training camp will start. We don't know how many games we're going to play. We don't know the format. We don't know anything. But I think we've got to focus on the things we can, which is preparing for next year so in the meantime there's a few leagues are going to start playing you know next month so I'm going to start to do some scouting whether it's just video scouting Mm -hmm. that's all we can do and just be open-minded and not get too ahead of ourselves Um, the information will be flowing in over the next few weeks I would imagine I think you know we're going to have a call with the general managers I expect to get some information and once we can plot out better how our season's going to look, then we can dive in with our coaching staff and make sure that uh, our objectives are aligned. And but I think understanding that it's okay not to have it all mapped out, and you know everyone likes to plan things out. I think you feel more comfortable when you can look forward and know exactly what everything looks like. We don't have that situation, so let's just be let's just roll with it. Let's be as flexible as we can be and not let it get us frustrated.
0: We're all hoping for some luck and uh, Stan, we wish you a lot as well. Thanks so much for taking time today. We, we've monopolized almost a full hour of your day and we know you're busy. So we, we really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, it was great. I appreciate uh, the, the conversation and we'll talk to you soon.
0: So I guess now, Elliot, one of the questions becomes the Taves, Patrick Kane, Duncan Keith, Brent Seabrook. Are they cool with all of this now? So now all the cards are on the table, both privately between the manager and the players, and now management and the fans. What's your Spidey sense on this one? I don't think
1: those guys want to be traded. Like One of the things I was trying to do some research on while we were preparing to do the interview was, is there any chance that any of them want to go. And the response I was getting is similar to what Stan Bowman himself said. And that is that he does not have that impression and he left it open. If anything changes, they'll have to deal with it then. But right now, as he understands it and he has better access to information than I do, But as I understand it, the answer is no. None of those guys are really interested in leaving. I can't see them ever wanting to trade Kane. I can't see them ever wanting to trade Taves. To be honest, I don't know if I ever see them really wanting to trade Keith or Seabrook from just a pure what it means to the organization point of view. Keith is interesting. Teams have asked Chicago about him before. And to this point, it's never gone anywhere. And I think Chicago would prefer it not to go anywhere because he's still playing a lot in critical situations. The one thing is Seabrook. Seabrook didn't play in the return to play. He was injured. And boy, I'll tell you this. I root for Brent Seabrook. As a person, I've got a lot of time for him. I think he's a good human. It's not his fault. He's got a big contract. Anybody would have been handed that contract. They were signing it. I know he's hopeful, that with a chance to heal and let his body recover, he'll be better. The only thing I wonder is, what happens if they don't see a role for him? He continues to sit out of the lineup. Does that mean that him and them try to work to find another situation? It's going to be hard with the way money's going right now, but I just wonder if that's a possibility. I thought it was really important and really a good sign for him that they felt it was important he be included in the process, all four of them. That's a sign that his his presence is still meaningful for them. They still respect him. Mm-hmm. I just think the only reason that, you know, it might become an issue on the ice is if he isn't playing. But it sounds to me like the preference of these four players are to continue to be Blackhawks and be part of them when they are winning again.
0: Here, here's what I wonder about, because I don't necessarily think, Elliot, that rebuild equals losses. We've seen this with various rebuilds before like in, in recent memory, even as most recently the New York Rangers. I wonder what happens because the full court press is on for rebuild and the kids, and you heard Stan talk about Boqvist and Mitchell, like, and Alex Debrink, is so quite young. We're hearing that these kids are going to be given prime spots. When you're rebuilding, there is an assumption from the marketplace and the entire NHL that rebuild equals, you're going to lose for a while until you get good, but there are enough players with this Blackhawks organization in the lineup right now, that I don't think that rebuild equals losses. My question becomes, if this is a competitive team right out of the gate, and this is a playoff team going into the next trade deadline, whenever that is, and you're Jonathan Taves, and you're Patrick Kane, and you're in a playoff race, you're in a playoff spot, what's the expectation for the general manager? stick to their guns, trade away for future, or say, you know what, we've got a shot at it. We feel we owe these guys one more chance at this. There's no answer because it's a hypothetical, but that's what I wonder about. And you know, to be honest, it's the thing we didn't ask.
1: And part of the reason it wasn't high on my list of questions was because all of the local podcasts and interviewers had talked about it, and that is what's happening in goal. Mm -hmm. I would look at it and say, they're not a bottom-feeding team. They beat Edmonton in the play-in. And there were people who were saying that Edmonton was a sleeper to win the Stanley Cup. And they earned that series. Like, that wasn't a fluke. They outplayed the Oilers. But what they, they don't have someone who was very important in that series. And they lost to Vegas. They don't have someone who was very good in that series. And that's the guy in goal. And I think that That's the question I have about them is, okay, they're going to give Malcolm Subban and Colin Delia a look this year. But I just think you'd look at it right now and say, are you really able to contend with that tandem? That's where I look at them and say, that's the hole. That's the hole. It's in that. What's the Lane Vigneault line about goaltenders? If your goaler is better than my goaler, you win. If my goaler is better than your goaler, you win.
0: We thank Stan Bowman uh, for making himself available, and uh, the Hawks uh, as well uh, for including us in the uh, the full media tour that Stan Bowman is doing. Uh, and that's it. Now, this time we promise. We think uh, we're taking a break. Uh, thanks for joining us uh, this week on Thirty One Thoughts, the podcast. We'll talk to you in two days. No, two weeks. We're not really sure. Who knows? <laughs> we don't you. know when we're going to be talking to you. We'll talk to you next time. How about that? Hey, it's Sam Roberts. Thanks, Jeff and Elliot, for another great season. Taking this out is a track off my latest album called I Like the Way You Talk About the Future. So take care, and we'll see you next season. I took the gold, you know that I pond it. Opened the door, headed for anywhere. On the road, watching the dawning. The more that I feel
1: it, the more that I want it. Touched the void, open the sky, followed the river.
0: Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host.